Hey everybody, welcome to Conversations with John and Lisa. Lisa. Yeah, that I get to say my soft. name. That's awesome. Okay, so today we are going to have another good conversations, Lisa. And before we even begin, because once we begin, there's no turning back on this one. We need to just tell everybody that Conversations is a part of a network of uh, family podcasts on the Messenger International Network. And what we've we've got is we've got the Messengers podcast. We've got Godmothers with Lisa Bevere. Yep. Da, da, da. And then we've got Let's Talk About It with Sons and Daughters. And yep. today I am just so excited. I want to jump right in this. We have got two very, very special guests. Lisa, I... I met these guys for the first time today. We have talked on the phone. We've done uh, Zoom calls, but first time in person, I guess, was last night. And these are two great men of God, and I cannot wait to hear what God has to say through them. They are the Benham brothers, and um, they're, they're double trouble. They're double, they're double trouble. trouble. Double trouble. That's all. As a mother of boys, that's all I see is just double trouble. Remember <laughs> Dennis and Menace? I Dennis mean, that's the Menace. Dennis the Menace. Do you yes. think it's times yeah, two? Yeah, remember that? That's yeah. Dennis the Menace times two. These Mitchell. guys look like Dennis. Yeah. They're always calling my son Hatchel. No, no, Haskell. 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 That's it. Yeah. He was. He no, no. We won't. He we was, won't no. let that happen. But the only thing I want to say before we jump into this is, everybody, okay, if you haven't subscribed and rated uh, Conversations with John and Lisa, please do so, because if you're benefiting from this, so many more people will benefit, and the word will get out, and we just love you guys. But Lisa, why don't you... Do the da 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 with the Benham brothers, okay? Are you was that my was that my that's introduction your cue. to it? Okay, yeah. that's awesome. Okay, well, first of all, they are twins. Uh lots of people are watching this. Yeah. So, yes, these are twins. You were right. So they're twins, David and Jason. I need you, David, raise your hand. Thank here. you. Here. Jason. Okay. Right David, here. Jason. All right. And they're former professional baseball players, nationally acclaimed entrepreneurs. Love that. Best-selling authors. Their success eventually landed them as a straight-to-series reality show. Straight-to-series reality show? What does that even mean? I mean no, pilot. no pilot. No pilot. Just no. Right in. Just right jump. Up. Okay. That's pretty yeah, impressive. See, just jump in. So they jumped right into a reality show on HGTV back in 2014. The show was abruptly canceled when activist groups pressured the network. You guys, cancel culture. It's been going on for a while to fire them because of their commitment to biblical values. The boys walked away and said, if our faith cost us a reality show, then so be it. Hey, I think we all need to think about that. If our faith costs us a reality show, yeah, seriously, it walk away. Appearing on Fox Business, ABC, Nightline, CNN, Fox News, and Good Morning America. All right, that's just a beginning of it. They encourage people to stand for what they believe, whatever the cost. Since that time, David and Jason have become friends with us, which is what we're the most excited about, but they have started dozens of businesses, written several books, launched an online coaching series called Expert Ownership, where they train people how to serve God and thrive. Now, I love that that's the pairing. Serve God and thrive in business without gaining it all and missing the mark. Their focus is global impact for God's glory. So, hallelujah. That's like, <laughs> we can all just have a service right that now. That quite an intro. Hey, yeah. hey, hey. Hey, great. You wrote that yourself. Uh, no, no, I didn't. John, Ellis, you never Ellis interrupted here. her one time. I'm not going to. There's no way. I will say this. 
they should be trainers too because I just did a workout with them and yeah. I am like. They made my husband a man. They made yeah, him a man. They made me yeah, a man. They I'm did now some a man. man workouts. Man. And most people probably don't recognize the fact you have a really nice set of legs, John. Yes, you do. You know, you know very muscular. Under my, table. My, my wife tells me that every day. Yeah. God be the glory. It's the reason why I married him. Oh, I yeah. said this guy's got good legs. Okay, so we want to hear your story. Yes. So. All right. Well, I, since I'm David, I'm I'm older. I'm two minutes older. There we go. Um, you, but we, you guys know in the whole Bible, two minutes to get yeah, out of there. I am. It but did. You, you guys know gone? in the Bible that the older always serves the younger. That's just well, right. Were you, were you grabbing his heel when you came? No, out? I was. Thank not. you. Okay. I was you not. Were, but thank you for asking. It, it now, matter. my mom didn't realize she was having twins until two days before <laughs> she got. That was pretty crazy. Nineteen seventy-five. Okay. So, how much did you weigh at birth? Six twelve and six fourteen. That's actually pretty phenomenal yeah, for twins. Yeah, okay. She gave natural birth, and There's our dad. Here's what's interesting. This will this will catapult into our story. Our dad was passed out drunk on the <laughs> waiting room floor when my mom had us. Was that because so he had he, found out yeah, you were he's, having he's twins? a drunk? No, he, he oh. was a drunk. He was an alcoholic. He owned a saloon, and um, and then six months after we were born, uh, the coffee salesman came into the saloon shop and uh, witnessed to him and dad. Prayed to receive Jesus, got radically saved, and knew at that moment, literally the same day he prayed to receive the Lord and repented of his sins, he knew he was called into full-time ministry and vocational ministry as a pastor. And so he sold the saloon. It took him six months to sell it. He was wow. witnessing to everybody that was bellying up to the bar. And um, anyway, and, and he went and became a pastor, went to seminary, became a pastor, and started a church in Dallas, Texas. So we grew up in Dallas, oh, wow. home of the world's greatest football team. So anyway, we grew up in Dallas, and then we both graduated uh, high school in 1994 okay. and went to sign baseball scholarships with Liberty University. So we were baseball players. But let me tell you one thing about our dad, and this is really, really cool, and, and it's, it just kind of shows you our upbringing. Our dad always taught us, you know, he's a pastor— so he always had these little quippy statements, you know, sticky sentences, like what you guys write in your books. All the time. All these little sticky sentences you can't stop thinking about. Our dad said, if your theology is not your biography, then your theology is worthless. Can you just say that one more time? If your theology is not your biography, then your theology is worthless. So if your thoughts about God don't translate into the way that you live your life for God, well, then your commitment to faith, like there is no commitment to faith there. It's mm-hmm. just a statement, but it's not a commitment. So he said, to prove it to us, what he was going to do is, move his church office out of our home, which was in Dallas, Texas at the time, and he was going to move it next to the busiest abortion clinic in Dallas. And what he didn't know at the time was one of the workers there was was Norma McCorvey, who was the Jane Roe in the Roe versus Wade Supreme Court case. Wow. Two years later, because of my dad's witness and several other people God brought into her life, my dad led her to the Lord, baptized her. It was captured in Time Magazine, wow. Ted Koppel, the whole bit. Wow. And, and he, but we got a chance to see up front and, and close what happens when your theology is your biography. Now, it cost him his church yeah. because he was a free Methodist pastor, and they had bishops and boards and all of this, and they took the church from him and said, you've got to choose either to be a pastor or a pro-life activist. And he said, I can't stand at the pulpit and preach if I know that on Monday at 9 a.m. there will be murders taking place at a particular spot in Dallas, Texas. He said, so... It's that's a, what that's what drove him. And he would he would teach our family. He would say, "Listen, we need to help these moms. They feel like they have no other choice. So let's help these moms." So we would have moms into our home. 
Norma McCorvey, who's Jane Rowe, her lesbian partner, came to our home and had dinner with us. I remember my dad opening the Bible and sharing the gospel, and I just remember her chin starts quivering and the tears start rolling in her face. She prays to receive the Lord. We drove to Walmart, wow. me and Jason, and got a blow-up swimming pool so Dad could baptize her in a blow-up swimming okay. pool. So it's the power you get of one God. of those this bad headaches, you know, no, when you're blowing the pool amazing. up. And I love this. Yeah. Okay, so I, what I want to clarify is your dad was a pro-life activist with love. He was yeah. saying, hey, these moms feel like they don't have a choice. And so being pro-life isn't right. about blowing up clinics, of course shooting not. abortionists. No, that's not pro-life. No. That's not exactly. pro-life. pro-death. And, and yep. we don't even call him a pro-life activist. Mm-hmm. He's just a salty Christian. Because we the, the label pro-life is just a—it's just kind of downstream from being a salt and light Christian yeah. and, and, and loving others and helping them like in Luke 10. You know, you don't walk by on the other side of the person that's robbed, beaten, and left for dead in a ditch. Mm-hmm. You get down in the ditch. But the key Absolutely. is in Luke chapter 10 that that good Samaritan that loved his neighbor as himself, it says he was filled with compassion. That was the first emotional right. response. that it, it wasn't righteous indignation. Now, righteous yeah. indignation right. has a place. But compassion is our filter. It's got to be our motive. If if Mm -hmm. compassion is not our filter, then we are going to act unrighteously. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've been doing for years in the pro-life work. But now, God, you know, as Jason and I, we watched this modeled for us. So we got saved at the age of 12. I was saved at a youth camp. Jason then prayed like six months later at a chapel service. Always He was my first disciple. Always. No, he was my first disciple. (laughs) Yeah. My first convert. David is always beta. So I'm coming in, you know, I'm always the do-over. But but, you know, but that's why he was born first. He was born first, God's born like, oops, born again made a first. mistake, got to fix that. And then he and made then another one. Jason, I'm that's the what do-over. They, you know, there are women on this podcast right now that are sick of you interrupting me. I, I assure you of that. Oh, well, no, just, they love it, Jason. I do it all the time. <laughs> no, no, come on. Not so, true. So anyway, when I remember we came home, and this was uh, sometime around the age of uh, 12, after we both had given our lives to the Lord, and Dad said, boys— it is now time to get into the Word of God. This mm-hmm. is going to be your standard. It will be your rock. It will be your anchor. If you want to succeed in anything in life, this is the, your standard. So we started reading through the New Testament every year as 12-year-old boys. So from 12 to 18, you know, three to five minutes every day, read through the New Testament. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have computers. We didn't have any iPads or any of that stuff. But then at 18, we signed baseball scholarships to play at Liberty University, and when we went to Liberty, we said, okay, all four years at Liberty, we're going to read through the whole Bible, and so we did. So that was just kind of, and I, I'm going to go back to that in just a minute, but while we were at Liberty, we ended up getting drafted. I was drafted by the Red Sox. Jason was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles. Not near as good a baseball team as the Boston What David Sox. won't tell you is that he's the only tailback in Boston Red Sox history. What's a tailback? See, a that's tailback, a right? That's player. a football player. Oh. But he was the only tailback that the Red Sox ever had. He'd run For all out you on... ladies out there, the Red Sox are baseball. Yeah. But he played tailback, which is hey, a football hey, position. Hey, I knew that. Oh, that's good, baby. Yeah, but I didn't understand well, I'm that tailback you, in baseball. But that see, that's what, that's what I'm about to tell off. you, LB, that he'd run out on the field and the manager would yell, Hey, get your tailback on the bench, boy. <laughs> tailback. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, uh-huh. John just got that. So I'm, I'm a bit slow sometimes on puns, guys. Yeah. Okay. So so we we go and play uh, minor league baseball uh, for four seasons. I was married. Um, I got married and had two kids during that time. Jason later in the end of his career got married. 
uh, my wife's Lori, his wife's Tori. We did not plan that. It just Lori that chased way. me around college our freshman year, and when she realized she couldn't have me, she had to go to David and settle for second Okay, that's like, the, that's like the eighth interruption, but, but that's good. But you said all I'm these so things we these. didn't have. You're like, we didn't okay. have cell phones, we didn't have computers, we didn't have that. You didn't say, I didn't have a personality, which was okay. true, and that's why all the ladies liked but me. But I landed Lori. So, But listen to this. So, so here we are in pro baseball. We both got out, and here's what we had to learn. I got traded to the St. Louis Cardinals my, in my uh, second season, and I was on the fast track to the big leagues. I, got, I went to a major league spring training. I was with Mark McGuire and Albert Pujols. I started a Bible study. It was amazing, and I just thought, God is going to make me a famous Christian. I'm going to hit the game-winning home run in the bottom of the ninth of the World Series, and he's going to use me as a famous Christian with a big platform to glorify him. Well, I had no idea that uh, six months after my second major league spring training that I would be out of baseball and that I would take a job as a janitor at a local high school in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's because he couldn't hit a curveball. <laughs> really <laughs> so struggled staying I, back. I literally went from swinging a bat in front of thousands of people with my baseball card and signing autographs to pushing a broom in front of nobody. But to David's credit, he played one year longer than I did. I had gotten out of baseball a year before. I'd broken my leg real bad, and that's a whole other story. And you couldn't hit a fastball, and right? I, that's right. After I broke he the leg, struggled run. to hit the fastball. He just okay. couldn't run. Well— so here I was pushing a broom. I was 26 years old, had two kids, Charlotte, North Carolina. I was a minor league baseball player, never made it to the big leagues, was faithful to a Bible study. I did Bible studies. I played on 13 minor league teams, Bible study, every team I was on, multiple salvations, multiple discipleships, and yet I'm not really struggling with the Lord. Like, are you kidding me? You're supposed to make me famous. Look at all I'm doing for you, right? I mean, and now here I am. I have a broom in my stinking hand. I have keys on my pocket that I have no idea what they go to. And the, the administrator just asked me to snake something out of a toilet. I don't even know what a snake is. I mean, I was a loser. And so I had an identity crisis. And I, I got to that point. I was the lowest point that I had been professionally that I, was, I really felt like I was a failure. I've, mm -hmm. And I was embarrassed to tell people I was a janitor. I was humiliated to, you know, we didn't have Facebook at the time, but I would have never posted my job. I would have never said anything because what I did defined me. And mm -hmm. being a professional athlete was something that made me feel good and made me feel validated. But God convicted me. He goes, I don't create human doings. I create human beings. Mm -hmm. And I love you for who you are, not for what you yeah. do. Yeah. And it was at that moment that I really felt convicted in my heart because I, I, was, I was not going with all my heart sweeping the floors. I was bitter and upset and complaining, and I was starting to kind of shift really negative, even though I was reading my Bible in the mornings, even though I was still witnessing to people. I was not being a good Christian in that regard. And so God convicted me, and then I remember the Lord asked me very clearly, do you love me for who I am, or do you just love me for my blessings? Mm -hmm. And I had to kind of come to Jesus meeting there, and I said, no, Lord, I love you for who you are. And the Lord said, then be faithful in the little things. And it was at that moment that I felt like, well, what am I supposed to do next? And the Lord just brought me into Scripture. Repent. Repent. Wow. wow. Repent of, the, of, of this identity that's held on to you. Yeah. Your identity is supposed to be in Christ, yes. not in what you do for a living. So I repented. I asked God to forgive me, and I committed. I'll be faithful to you the rest of my life. I had no idea that six months later, Jason and I were going to start a journey. And I'm going to fast forward because I don't want to take up too much time. But no, Jason and I hey, decide. Everybody is loving let me, this. Let me, let me pick up real quick because— um, it was important. David was a janitor for about a year. And during that time, I was a corporate chaplain at a very large company. I had about 400 or so employees. I basically did the job of a pastor for a company. So it was a cool position. 
But there was just something in me that was a little entrepreneurial, and it was the same as David. Like, we're like, we want to get out, and we want to, like, make things happen. But yet we also felt this strong call, and I'm going to put this in, in quotes, in, in scare quotes, full-time ministry. And the reason why I do that is because we had the wrong idea of what ministry was. And so— Loving Wait, this. wait. Most people do. Yes, yep. they yes. do. Yep. Okay. I'm so happy to hear And you guys are two of the few people that actually have, have taught people the right— way that, that we are to minister in everything that we do through our work. And so David and I were part of a company. Uh, the company that I worked for was the same company that owned the school, and it was a family-owned business, and it fell apart. We found ourselves jobless at the end of 2002. And so December of 2002, we're praying. We're like, God, what do you want us to do? And this, this thought of full-time ministry was just, it was like, now's the time. So we started, get this, I'm, I'm saying this with a smile if you're listening to this, Benham Brothers Ministries. And we started BenhamBrothersMinistries.com, and we took pictures, and we created a marketing plan, and we wrote a sport letter. Uh, we, we had we had We did like the same. That. Well, now that's called the Beer Ministries. Yeah. But now this is great because we that was, that was the direction we really felt like God wanted us to go. And in all honesty, he said yes to that. Now, God's yes and God's go are typically two different things. There's a period of waiting between the two where God prepares you to be the person to handle what he said yes to. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. we just jump out and do the thing. Mm-hmm. So and, well uh, said. And so we jumped out, and we, we, we right before we mailed our first support letter, um, we, we started to pray, and God just really burdened us. This is a great model, but it's not, not the model for you. And that floored us. We're like, okay, what, what does that mean? Don't we want to be in ministry. Yeah, we want to be in ministry. This is what ministry is. That's right. That was our only. Why are you doing that was our. That? It had to be in a nonprofit model, mm-hmm. and that's a great model. But God was calling us into the for-profit space, and uh, and the Lord basically just told us get to work. Mm-hmm. And so we felt the same way that Jesus, that the, the disciples must have felt whenever that Jesus, right before he fed the five thousand, and they're like, "Hey, uh, people are hungry," and he's like, "We'll give them something to eat." They're like, "Uh, <laughs> like, what are we going to give them?" He's basically like, "What do you look get? in your bag? What do you got?" Yeah, and said, well, all we got are a couple tuna fish sandwiches. We'll give what you got to God, whatever it was. So David and I looked in our bags. We had history degrees from Liberty. We didn't want to be teachers, so that wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. We were professional baseball players, but we didn't want to coach, so that wasn't going to work. But we did earn our real estate licenses that previous year because we knew we'd be buying a house and didn't want to pay the commission. So we said, well, we have real estate licenses. Maybe we should try to wow. hang our licenses with a local company and sell real estate. That's what we started to do. And so we hung our licenses with a real estate company. And how many of you know, as you're listening to this, that God's word says, whatever your hand finds to do, you do it with all your might. All your might. Everything. All in. And Dave and I didn't have any business training, but we were armed with the principles of the scripture because we were reading the Bible cover to cover. And we had been doing that since we were 18. And at this point in our story, we were 27. So we had nine years of going through the Bible cover to cover. So we said, let's apply. And Proverbs 12 times a year. year. Yeah. Let's apply this principles of the scripture to our little real estate business. And within a year and a half, we started our own company and we, uh, we found ourselves a little niche and David and I started selling houses, managing and liquidating houses on behalf of banks. And at the end of three years, we were selling more houses than anybody in North Carolina, just about. So we franchised our company. And at the end, so we started our company in 03. By 2010, we had 100 offices in 35 different states. That's remarkable. We, wow. we followed David and Solomon's uh, franchise plan with yeah. the way they built the, or the way that David saved up for the temple and Solomon built it. That was our model for franchise. And we looked at Jesus, what he did wow. with his disciples. Wow. And then we looked at the rule of five. You know, this is, you've got this great book for entrepreneurs, X. 
And so th- David and I talk a lot to entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. and we talk about the rule of five. You know, mm-hmm. like a lot of people start their business, but most small businesses fail in the first five years. Well, one of the reasons why is because when the business starts to make money, they start to live out of the business. They see that as harvest and not seed. Your first five years, there oh, is no wow. harvest. But it's only seed. The rule of five. Wow. Amen. More the seed. rule of five was... That's wow. exactly what Lisa and I did with Messenger International. Yes. Our first five years, we just kept sowing back, yeah. sowing back, sowing back. Yeah. Well, we were living very, very frugally is what I need to say. And that was a promised yeah. land principle. Wow. That wow. was a principle wow. that God gave to the Israelites while they were in the wilderness and said, when you do move into the promised land... Don't touch anything. You sow and you you sow, but don't do any of the reaping. Like you plant, but don't do any of the harvesting. In the fourth year, donate all the fruit. And in the fifth year, you can start eating from your harvest. And so that's what we did in business. Wow. And it went bonkers. By 2010, we started a our, we at that point we started our own pro-life ministry. And then we went overseas and started a company that that's still running to this day with 1,200 employees. Wow. That we call missioneering. So, but I just want to say this one thing because I'm going to go back to what I said about being in full-time ministry. David and I had a couple hundred of our franchisees in, and we were had a, uh, we were standing up there speaking at a conference, and we had our notes for the session, and we had an open Bible. And in the middle of speaking to our people, and we had been sowing into them for years, principles of the Scripture and how you're going to build your business, it was as if God spoke audibly to me. I didn't hear the audible voice, and if I did, it probably would have sounded like Lisa's and not John's, but... <laughs> But I didn't hear the audible voice, but I really did feel God say to me, whoever told you that you weren't in ministry? Yeah. Just like when he yeah. said to Adam, who told you you were naked? Like, you've been lied to, and you need to go back to the source of that lie. Yeah. You've been in ministry the whole time. Where you're placed and how you're paid doesn't define the minister. It's about passion, not position. It's about the presence of God in your life and your desire to please and honor Him through your work. And we discovered that once you give your heart to Jesus, you are a minister, you're on mission, and your work is worship. And when you have that identity and when you have that paradigm, boom, it takes the lid yeah. off your work. Because how you see yourself determines how you behave yourself. Yeah. So Jason and so I, good. yeah, we we you know, we we found ourselves at the at the height of our business and and just before we had gotten to that point, back when I was a janitor, the Lord spoke very clearly that you know, I always heard God takes ordinary people and lets them do extraordinary things. And I thought, man, that's amazing. But God also, when the Holy Spirit is inside of you, he takes an extraordinary person and oftentimes asks him to do very ordinary things mm-hmm. and do them very well. Mm-hmm. And so here now, boom. Like, we're, like John that. making us up. Uh, what did you make us today? Some yummy coffee. Oh, that coffee. What was that was called? Dates. It was amazing. I've never had anything. It was dates and, and coconut milk and, and yeah. cinnamon. But what was crazy was seeing how excited you were about that was the exact same animation I see you when you're on stage. I That's love a great it. example. It's a passionate man. Yep. So, so now here we are, 2010. We're ministers, but we're in the marketplace, and God is now unlocking this identity in our lives, and our company just skyrocketed. Next thing you know, it's Inc. Magazine, Wall Street Journal, Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year finalist, and then John Maxwell's Transformational Leadership finalist, and all this stuff. It just starts coming to us. We never went after it, right? We always say, you focus on depth and let God handle their breadth. And what a lot of young people want to do today is they want to go get the bread. I want the fruit. I want big branches. I want marketing. I want fame. I want all this stuff. If the Lord's like, whoa, hold on a second. You got to dig some trenches. Get down into the root. I'll take care of your fruits. And so all this fruit started just coming. And in 2000, by the way, before in 2010, 
We started a pro-life ministry of loving these mothers and a pro-life network of life-affirming ministries in our city, in the in, in Charlotte. Wow. And, uh, and so we started this ministry, and, and in 10 years, I'm fast-forwarding to 2020, uh, almost, let's see, 5,500 mothers, almost 5,500 mothers have chosen life, but they then get plugged into our mentor network. We have over 300 families, volunteer families, that are willing to mentor. Wow. wow. We have wow. these, uh, we have... Uh, several hundred churches now that have partnered with us that will do baby showers. They will go with these mothers to prenatal visits. We have housing and assistance ministries. We have job programs. We have abuse ministry. We have all of these things in Charlotte. So it's been amazing what's been happening on the pro-life front. But anyway, so I'll pause that. 2012 now, Jason and I are starting multiple companies. We had started a company in Southeast Asia that's just growing like crazy, and we were recirculating all the profits so that um, the missionaries could have funding that wasn't coming from the West. It was actually being genera- generated yeah, over there. Yeah, our goal was self-sustaining revenue model for missions. That's, That's what we wanted goal. to do, and by God's grace, we did it. We were able to merge with another large company, and uh, and they were able to take over operations for us because it was growing faster than we could keep up with. And and so all this is happening, and then 2012, a production company reaches out to us. Now, at this point... You have like uh, the Duggar family, were, they were on TLC, and the Duck Dynasty people were on A&E, but that was pretty much it. And there was a lot of fame. I mean, Instagram, Twitter, and stuff was just yeah, not really there yet. So, I mean, the cable television, if you're going to be a famous Christian, I mean, that's pretty cool. You want to be on cable TV. So we told this production company, yeah, that'd be great if you want to do a reality show. What kind of show do you want to do? And they were like, I don't I know. I asked them first if they could fix David Snaggletooth. If they could fix that, then everything was going to be great. Oh, yeah. So hey, God keeps me humble with my crooked teeth. So so, so we're like Twin brothers can poke yeah, at each other. Yeah, they're they're hilarious. You know what's so funny is one lady after we were speaking at an event, and there must have been, I don't know how many people were there. We get done with the event. She comes up and says, I really like the way you and your brother were talking, but let me just tell you something. You need to be nicer to each other. You don't need to say bad things to each other. And, you know, we're, we want to be very respectful. And we said, yes, ma'am. And Jason goes, well, what, what do you think we should do? And she goes, well, I think what you should do is when you, next time you go on stage, you put your hand on your brother's shoulder, you look him in the eyes and you say, ladies and gentlemen, this is my brother. God created him and I love him very much. And we both are just sitting there in stunned silence. And Jason's like, ma'am, that will never happen. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> that ain't ever going to happen. Not one day oh, ever. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so so this production company says, we want to put a sizzle a sizzle clip together on you guys. And now— It's like a quick preview. To yeah, I was going to say— Our paradigm— Sizzle clip. The little sizzle clip. It's a three-minute yeah. little preview. They put it together, took it to L.A. Five networks wanted us. TLC makes the first offer. So now in 2013, we're negotiating with TLC— and they're like, man, you guys, we're, you've got, you're married. We live on the same street, by the way. We're five doors down from each other. We have nine kids combined. I've got five. Jason only has four. That's fine. We're flipping houses like crazy. We're remodeling houses, neighborhoods, all kinds of stuff. We're doing a lot of things in health and fitness and just, you know, money management and real estate and all this other stuff. And so they're like, okay, we're going to go any number of ways. So while we're negotiating with TLC, the general manager of HGTV calls my cell phone. And said, we saw your show, your, your sizzle clip, and we heard that you guys are going to sign with TLC. Would you entertain an offer from us? And I was like, hey, yeah, sure, we'll entertain an offer. They had just signed Chip and Joanna. Mm-hmm. They hadn't even done the pilot yet. Wow. 
And they said, listen, what we want to do with HGTV is, is we're very program-centric where, you know, you transform a house and everything's great. And they'll never stop that because it's amazing to watch. Your home's amazing. Thank but you. then you, they, they said, but what we want to do is we really want to get more families on the show because we know that's what America wants, mm-hmm. which is really cool to see how the general manager of this massive network was talking. And, uh, and I said, okay, so do you know who we are? Like, do you know who our dad is? He, he's been publicly shamed for being pro-life. Of course, now he hates women, according to the narrative, which nothing could be further from the truth. And it was just interesting because they, they had already done all their research. They knew who we were. And they said, this, we, we want to make you guys an offer. So we said, okay, great. So HG comes in and says, we don't, we're not going to give you a pilot. We're going to go straight to series, fall of 2014. We're going to put a ton of marketing money behind this. We'll get you into Home Depot. We'll get you into all these places. HGTV makes us this offer. Six one-hour episodes, no pilot. They had just uh, piloted Chip and Joanna Gaines, or they were about to pilot them. And they said, guys, we want to, we want to take your family and move you to the front. And uh, this is how much money we're going to give you. And it was a lot of crooked numbers and a lot of commas. And David and I were like, let's do this. So we, we signed a letter of intent with them. But from the time a letter of intent is signed to the point where you get to the long-form contract, you know, like the 60-page contract, the attorneys have to do all their background checks and all those things, which is fine. Like, we, we pass the background check with flying colors. But about two months in, I got a phone call from the production company, and they said, hey, HGTV is really excited to have you guys, but the attorneys just have one question for you. And uh, I said, okay. They said, they just want this for the record, and here's their question. Are you and your brother anti-gay? That was their question. Now, let me just pause, because obviously nothing could be further from the truth. But I just want to pause there, because David and I were very outspoken pro-life, but we were also outspoken about God's definition of marriage. This was back during the time where the big debate was taking place for four or five years before 2015, the Supreme Court decided they wanted to change the definition. David and I were waiting for Christian entrepreneurs and business guys to speak up, because everybody on the other side was speaking up, so... David Starbucks, Knight. American Airlines, PayPal, I mean, you name yeah. it. Everybody's speaking Which is up, fine, so. and these are great companies, but they were speaking their opinion, so we said, we're, we're going to speak our opinion. Listen, God's blessings bring God's boundaries. No, God's, boundaries. God's boundaries bring God's blessings. If you remove God's boundaries, His blessings are replaced with burdens. So if you really love people, we don't just talk about the blessed life. We talk about the boundaries that you need to stay inside of in order to get that blessing. That's so good. One of those blessings is marriage between a man and a woman. So God's defined it. Let's not redefine it. And we're not judging anybody. We're simply agreeing with the judge. Yeah, that's right. That was it. That's all we had said. We had said it on a few videos, and we had said it in some, some podcasts. And so the, the attorneys had stumbled on some of those videos and decided they needed to ask us this question. Now, are you guys anti-gay? That was the question. And up until this point, David and I are these bold Christians, and like we're like, yeah, man, let's go out and do this thing. But you want to know what I felt when that question was asked to me? Fear. Like a fear I had never felt before. David was out of town on business. Good thing, because he would have just been flopping on the ground like a fish. (laughs) But I felt fear. And I'm telling you, what I felt in that moment was a man-pleasing spirit. Because in that moment when that question was asked, it was like I heard this little voice in my my head that said, "Uh uh-oh, you better be careful how you answer that question. Because if you don't give the right answer, you're going to lose that platform that I know you and your brother want so much. The HGTV was saying, they said to us, Right to our face. We will spend millions to get you in front of millions of homes. We'll put you in 100 million homes in America. And David and I had already started a website where we're like, 
If 100 million people are going to see us on a weekly basis, we are going to drive people into the Scripture. We're going to use it for evangelism and discipleship. And yeah, we probably wouldn't be able to do it on the show, but people are going to want to know who we are. And at the same time, in our journals, you, you'll if you go back and read our journals, we never made it to the big leagues. And it was almost as if, like, God, you took us down into the trench of being a janitor, and you did all these things, and now we built this company. And now, all of a sudden, it's the big, big leagues. And we knew this was God's yeah. promise for us. We knew God had given this to us. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that it, God was going to give us this platform so that we could tell people about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we knew that's what he was doing. And when this question was asked, all of a sudden, there, I felt threatened. And, I, and that thought came through my mind. You better be careful. And so... I just said this little snap prayer, you know, just in my mind. And God gave me just the right thing to say. I said, you know, we're not anti-anybody. Yeah, We're pro-Jesus and we're pro-Bible, which means that we do believe that God's blessings lead, God's boundaries lead to God's blessings. And I explained to her what I just explained to you. And you know what her response was? She said, that is so good. She said, most of us at the production company and HGTV and even your agents, and our agents were the Kardashian agents, they said, even your agents believe like you guys, but we're just quiet about it. See, they're quiet about it because okay. that was the spirit of the age. So wait, so they are all under that spirit of intimidation, <laughs> that the fear of man too. that That's you're right. feeling. You know, John, I remember that time period, and I remember that we both made a decision to just post a scripture. Yes. And it said that God made the organic union of the two sexes. Yes. And it was just, it was just, and it talked about not defiling his artwork. And again, I can't, I could right. not believe the that vitriol. we were, yes, and, and the attack and yeah. that, oh, you must hate gays and, oh, you're, you're homophobic or whatever. And, and I just said, God, if God created marriage and defined it, we should not redefine it. That's all right. I said. Right. And I was shocked by how quiet. The yes. majority of the Christians were, and I even called one of my leader mamas, and I was crying because I could not believe mm-hmm. how mean people were. And she said, well, everybody already knows what I think, so I'm not saying anything. Yeah, yeah. But see, that's— <laughs> And I was John, like, I that's think a bit, you need to say— That's a wrong assumption. Yeah, you think you need to say something. Yeah. And, and, and I would simply respond to her, is your decision born out of fear or faith? Because if you really get down to it, it's fear. Because it's the same fear that I was feeling in that moment. And everybody, I'm going to say so many people are feeling that same fear. They may not have a TV contract that's getting ready to be canceled, but they are feeling that fear. But we're in cancel culture today. Yes. And and this was cancel culture way before it became cancel culture. And so they'll cancel anything. They'll cancel your personality. I mean, just your image, your income, your influence, whatever that may be. They'll go after it, and it's scary. So there's an old Latin proverb that says, silence breeds consent. He ought to have spoken when he was able to. And, you know, you look at John the Baptist. um, He he obviously loved people, and we are supposed to love people. And he spoke out to help a man, Mm. a king. Mm. And because he spoke out to help that king to get back in line with God's ways, he lost his head. That's right. And the way I like to say it is this. um, Being a dad of four boys, Christmas time is pure work. You guys probably already know that because all these toys, you got to put them together. And, you know, it's pretty amazing. Um, I was the typical dad. I'd open up the box, throw the pieces on the floor, throw the manual over there, and start putting it together. Two hours later, I still have 10 pieces on the floor. (laughs) I turn the switch on, and it doesn't work. So what do I have to do now? I have to go get the manual, the guy that designed it. I have to now deconstruct the whole thing. I have to put it all back together. And then it works. That's right. And so here's the thing that people must understand. God is our creator. Yeah. 
He knows what breaks us. He knows what makes us. And we as believers should understand that. Therefore, we should be outspoken about it because if we're not, do we really love these people? If we remain quiet and their lives are broken, Mm -hmm. their lives go into a tailspin. That's right. Are we really loving them? We're not. That's good. That's why the Bible says we have to speak the truth in love. So the question would be then, why would we not speak? And this is where I want to get you back into the story. Yeah. Because after I said that and I told her, and she affirmed affirmed it, and we hung up the phone and I wiped my forehead and was like, God, you're so good. I was so nervous. And And, you know, two weeks went by after that. We didn't get a text, a tweet, a phone call. We didn't get an email, nothing from HGTV, our production company, or our agents. And I honestly thought we were getting dumped. And I had never been dumped before a day in my life. I had to go to David for advice. I'm like, hey, man, I've never been dumped before. Like, you've been through this several times. You know, he's all like 14, crying in our bedroom, listening to REO Speedwagon. Can't fight this feeling any longer. You know, getting dumped. So I didn't know what it felt like to get the, to get dumped like this. But the funny thing is, I walked down to David's house and I said, dude, I think we might have lost the show. Like my fear that I had when she asked that question, I think it actually came true. I think that when the production company took that answer that I gave them back to the attorneys, they didn't like it and we're not going to get a show. So we got down on our knees and prayed. And we came up off of our knees after 5, 10, 15 minutes. And I said, dude, I got an idea. Let's send HGTV an email explaining our beliefs and try to save the show. He said, it's a great idea. I told David, I said, you write it and I'll edit it. So he wrote this email 30 minutes later. I read it. I thought it was fantastic. Didn't need any editing. And I thought it was the greatest thing ever. You want to know basically what that email said? It essentially said, HGTV, these are our beliefs and we're not going to back off of them. Mm. However, when we represent your network on all the talk shows that you're going to put us on, they were already planning Ellen and all these talk shows. We said, when we represent you guys in public on these talk shows, we'll be quiet about them. And we even agreed to take down a few websites and a few of our tweets. Now, before we acted on any of that, before we sent the email or enacted any of that, we decided that we would send that email to a uh, trusted advisor, right, to get some advice. Now, we knew not to send it to my dad. Yeah. We knew what he'd say. We knew the direction he'd go. <laughs> and we weren't that spiritual. So we just knew that we needed to send it to somebody. So we sent it to Dr. Michael Brown. It's a really good friend of ours. I, I know. We're friends, too. Fantastic. We sent it to him hoping that he would say, guys, this this is worded right. I might change this. You know, Try to keep the show because you guys have a great platform here. We sent it to him, and within three minutes, he sent an email back that blew our hair back. He said, how dare you boys write an email like this? This isn't who you are. How do you know that God isn't raising you up for a time like this to tear down a stronghold that's taking over our culture? You don't need to send that email. What you need to do is get on your knees and repent. Ooh, that's not very Christ-like. How about them apples, right? And you know what? In that moment, we knew. We were cut to the heart. We felt exactly as Peter must have felt when he promised mm-hmm. Jesus he'd never deny him. Mm-hmm. And that very night, he did mm-hmm. it three times. Mm-hmm. See, David and I heard that rooster crowing. I mean, it was like David is even running around the, the yard. <laughs> it was, we heard that rooster crowing, man, and we got down on our knees and repented of a man-pleasing spirit. Mm. And we never sent the email. We never sent that email, but we repented of operating out of a fear of man. And you know what happened in that moment, though? Here's the scariest thing. David and I felt, I'm going to put this in the scare quotes, the peace of God about that email. Correct. We felt that peace, but it was a false peace. Mm. It was a false peace based upon the wrong fear. 
And what happened in that moment, though, though, was that we began to focus on that platform that we wanted, that God had placed in our hand, rather than the person who put it there in the first place. Mm-hmm. And that thing now became our idol. Mm-hmm. And God wanted us to have it, yes, but it became our idol when we wrapped our fingers around it. We're like, mm-hmm. no, 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 we're going to hold on to this. And we now started to focus on that platform rather than the person who put it there. Mm-hmm. We began to operate strategically in the mind rather than spiritually in the heart. We were now Wait, deaf. can you please say that one more time? Because so when we, you focused, had the focus, on the, we yeah. focused on the platform over the person. Over we, over began, we began to operate strategically in the mind rather than spiritually in the heart. And I feel that we have an entire generation playing to an audience that they are coming under that. that oh, yeah, strategic, right? It's all about like, strategy. I don't want to be canceled. How do I, I don't expand want to... my platform? Yeah. How do I make more money? How do yeah. I get See, more likes and hearts and shares we did, and views? We didn't know what the future lay in store for us. We didn't, we didn't have a clue. But all we knew now, looking back on it, was that God had to get us to let go of that thing that we were holding on to because we became, became enslaved by it. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't send that email. And it, we 100% repented. And at that moment, we, we honestly felt a change in our spirit. Mm. We went from these cowardly, wink, weak, need, limp-wristed Christians that were like, wait, wait, wait. Mm. I almost fell in a big, big way. Mm. That's in me. And that's very scary. And we discovered that the secret to courage is not, is, is the secret to courage is first recognizing your inner coward. And then allowing the Holy Spirit to unleash your inner lion. We didn't know we were going to get fired, but God knew that boldness apart from brokenness makes a bully. Boldness apart from brokenness makes a bully. You think about Peter in the garden. He's sound asleep. He wakes up. Jesus' captors are there. What's the first thing he did? Boom, was going to take his ear off because he's like, I'll never deny you. You know, he's not really broken, doesn't really have that in him yet. But then on the flip side, brokenness apart from boldness makes a bystander. So yeah. you don't you got ditches yeah. on both sides, oh. but what God really oh. wants is boldness oh. on the foundation of brokenness, and then you become a bridge between heaven and earth. John, wow! I, I know I, that's I, all I can say. I is know, wow. I know. So we were planning on doing one podcast, but we are going to do two. So I, I know you are enjoying one. this. So you need to get part two. It's going to be the next podcast. But now, Lisa, the Benham Brothers got a great book called Bold and Broken, and everybody can get that book, and I would advise it highly, at boldandbroken.com. And don't forget about Messenger Courses, guys. We've got over 30 courses on there for you. All you have to do is go to messengercourses.com, and you can you can sign up and you choose the contribution. Now, I think about that. the contribution. Think about it. We're we're sending these courses out all over the world. Pastors in Iran, Iraq, Syria, in Myanmar, all these places. You're enabling them to get the Word of God, so you're paying it forward by saying, I want to be a part of a team. But, but you know what, John? It's not just pastors. It's anybody. Yes, it's, it's about everybody. making disciples all over the world. That's and, correct. And, you know, if you're like, wait a minute, you guys are giving us so much information. We are going to have all of the information on our website. So you're going to be able to grab a hold of that. So you want to get a hold of Bold and Broken and you want to sign up for Messenger Courses. So hallelujah. I cannot (laughs) wait to come into the next program. So until next time, this has been Conversations with John and Lisa and David and Jason. (laughs) You are so sorry. Thanks for listening to Conversations with John and Lisa. Let us know your thoughts by leaving a review. You can subscribe and share these episodes through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to check out our other shows in the Messenger Podcast Network, including The Godmother with Lisa Bevere, 
Let's Talk About It with Sons and Daughters, and The Messenger Podcast. You can also connect with John and Lisa through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time.